0: So let's pray, Father, we thank you for this time together where we can study from your word, and we thank you for this time that we are living in, and for this opportunity to study from the Bible. And so I pray that you would guide my mind, guide each of our minds, and I pray that what is presented this evening would be very clear and very understandable, and that we would apply what we learn. So I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, there's probably nothing better that I'd like to talk about than the three angels' messages. There's lots of things to talk about in the Bible, but for me, the three angels' messages are are the most important, and you saw in this flyer that was sent out, there's this quote from Last Day Events. You can also find it in Testimonies, Volume 9, page 19, about the... Three Angels' Messages, and I'm going to read it as we start this study. Last Day Events, page 45. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. You know, it's amazing to me that statement where Ellen White says that we as God's people, Seventh-day Adventists, who allow nothing else to absorb our attention, and that we've been given a work of the most solemn import, which is the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. Now, I'll admit that growing up in the church and going through our school system, I'm not so sure that the three angels messages were were taught and presented in such a way so that young people coming out of our schools would be able to give a clear, coherent Bible study on the three angels messages. And that's probably where I was when I finished college. Um, so, you know, don't feel bad if you don't feel like you know how to give a study on the three angels messages. Um, hopefully tonight will be, a start or a foundation for you so that you will see the value and the importance of the three angels' messages and why Seventh-day Adventists make such a big deal about these three messages. And you will find as we study here in Scripture that these three messages are not just some random messages, that they are the messages for the time that we're living in Now, a few weeks ago i gave a study on how to show um, that the sunday law is the mark of the beast and how to show that from scripture so i hope that you'll see um, in the in these studies these series of studies just how amazing and how important the three angels messages are for us as a people now what i'm going to do first Revelation 14 is where we find the three angels' messages. So I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation 14. And I want you to look at something. And what I like to do when I teach um, a topic is to kind of see the big picture first. And then once you see the big picture, then the detail starts to make a lot more sense. And so when you look at Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14 has three sections. So the first section is found in the first five verses. And the first five verses are a description of the 144,000 standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. So you have 144,000 standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb. Now, again, big picture understanding here. The book of Revelation, the title of the book of Revelation is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you study the 144,000 very carefully, you will find that the 144,000 stand with the Lamb on Mount Zion because the 144,000 were transformed into the likeness of the Lamb. And so this is one of the climaxes of the Revelation in that you have the revelation of Jesus Christ through his saints known as the 144,000. So the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is revealed in various ways through the book of Revelation. One of the ways that he is revealed is through the 144,000. So that's the first section of Revelation chapter 14. The second section is the three angels' messages, and that's verses 6 through 12. So verses 6 through 12 are the second section of Revelation chapter 14. And you have the three angels' messages, the first angel being found in verses 6 and 7, the second angel's message being found in verse 8, and the third angel's message being found in verses 9 through 12. Now you have kind of a an interlude, if you will, in verse 13, which is a description of the special resurrection, which we may talk about later. And then the third section is the harvest of the righteous and the wicked, and that's in verses 14 through 20. So when you look at this big picture in Revelation chapter 14, and as you're studying Revelation chapter 14, this is what you want to see as you study this chapter. You have three sections, 144,000 found in the first five verses. The three angels' messages is the next section, verses 6 through 12. And then you have the harvest, in verses 14 through 20, here's what that whole pattern is showing us, if you put it all together. What this pattern is showing us, and then we're going to get into the three angels' messages, is that the 144,000 who stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb are produced— by the three angels' messages, and I'm going to prove that to you as we study this. So the 144,000 in the first section of chapter 14 are produced by the three angels' messages in verses 6 through 12, and then what the whole chapter is showing us is that when the three angels' messages produce the 144,000, the harvest is ripened, and Jesus comes back. That's what chapter 14 is teaching us. So it's it's a nice big picture that we see in chapter 14. 144,000, they're a revelation of Jesus Christ, so they therefore stand with, with the Lamb on Mount Zion, and they are produced by the three angels' messages, and when those three angels' messages produce the 144,000, then we have the harvest, and the harvest is a description of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So does that make sense to everyone as we set forth on our study? So hopefully that's clear to you that you see the three sections and they fit together very clearly. So... Let's look at the three angels' messages, and I'll say this. If we didn't have the three angels' messages, we wouldn't have the Seventh-day Adventist movement. We wouldn't have the Seventh-day Adventist church, and you're going to see that as we study this. Okay, so starting in verse 6, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, and just so you can kind of see What we saw was the big picture, kind of looking at the forest. Now we're going to kind of look at the detail or the trees. The reason why we say that there are three angels is because when you get to verse 9, it says, and the third angel followed them. So we understand that in verse 6, that's the first angel. Verse 8, that's the second angel. They're not named in such a way. But verse 9 names the third angel as the third angel. So we have three angels' messages. That's where we get this nomenclature from. And in verse 6, we see, And I saw another angel. Now the word for angel in the Greek is the word for messenger. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now you may have heard this verse many times and it can almost become a rote recitation to hear those words stated, but I'm going to hopefully show you just how deep this passage is. There's a couple of things that I want to point out before we get into some of the further detail. First of all, is that this message that the angel is flying through the midst of heaven with is for every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, or um, every nation, tribe, language, and people in modern vernacular. So I, I sometimes, I don't think I need to say this to, to this group because I, one of the things I miss about Loma Linda was that was the diversity, um, and you really don't even think about it when you live there. But when you live in other parts of the country, you have to remind um, other Americans that the Three Angels' messages are not only for Caucasians in North America. Um, the Three Angels' messages are for every nation, tribe language, people group all around the world. And that's why the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a worldwide church, because of the the burden that we have to get the three angels' messages to the entire world. And um, so that's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to make is that in verse 7, we see that this angel gives this message with a loud voice. And so one of the things I want to say about that is that I've met a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who are embarrassed by the distinctive message that we have as a people. Now, you know, I'm the type of guy that just kind of tends to shoot straight. So I'm going to say it the way I think. And that's based on what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say to hide the three angels' messages under a bushel. The Bible says that the three angels' messages should be given with a loud voice. So, um, and to be specifically particular, the first and the third angel are given with a loud voice. It doesn't say that about the second angel, but the message of the second angel is repeated with the angel of Revelation 18, where he cries mightily with a strong voice, which that's the loud cry. So eventually the message of the second angel will be given under the power of the loud cry. But I just wanted to mention that because I hear a lot of people say, you know, we need to be careful about how we share this message. And of course, I agree with that. I wouldn't give a um, Bible study on the Mark of the Beast to a group of new, newcomers who've never heard our message before as the very first study. But the Bible says that the three angels' messages are to be given to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So don't tell me that millennials or Gen Xers or whoever the generations that have come after them are now aren't cut out to hear the three angels' messages. Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says from the hour of God's judgment till the time that Jesus comes, the three angels' messages are for everybody. And if we're ashamed of that message, to me it it tells that we don't really understand the significance of this message. So I just want to encourage you and And, you know, of course, there's right and wrong ways to give this message. I mean, I've seen some pretty negative ways for it to be presented. But, I mean, I I get kind of disappointed when I see people and churches and leaders shy away from giving the three angels' messages the way God intended them to be given. Because the angel gives this message with a loud voice. So if the angel from heaven gives this message with a loud voice, why, as as God's people, would we be ashamed to share the message that God has given to us to share with the world for this time? So that's just something that I wanted to mention. So this message is for everybody, and it's for millennials and any generation that's alive right now. And it's for every ethnicity, it's for every language group, And it's something that we need to give under the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's break this down a little bit further. So verse six, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Here's the first key component to the first angel's message. The first key component is that the first angel has the everlasting gospel. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Douglas Naa gave a study to you on, on the gospel or righteousness by faith. Is, is that correct? So I, I think that's what I understood. And so you should have a pretty clear understanding from Pastor Na's messages about righteousness by faith in the gospel. But I am going to mention a few things. Because, again, sometimes I find some people in the church who are – who are okay with saying, sure, let's talk about the gospel in the context of the first angel, but then they don't want to talk about the judgment hour, and they don't want to talk about the second angel's message and the fact that Babylon has fallen, and they don't want to talk about the third angel's message and the mark of the beast. Um, Also, Pastor Noah gave a series on the sanctuary, which has the gospel in it, which is fine. So, you know, it's good to talk about the gospel, but the gospel is part of this whole package of, you have the everlasting gospel, you have the judgment hour message, you have the message of fear of God, give glory to him, you have the message of worship, him who made heaven and earth. You have the second angel's message of coming out of Babylon, and you have the third angel's message of the mark of the beast, and then the patience of the saints, the faith of Jesus, and the commandments of God. So this is a complete package. The other thing is, is that there have been some misunderstandings about the everlasting gospel. So let me say a couple of things about this. First of all, it's not a a mistake or by chance that the gospel is described in the first angel's message as the everlasting gospel. In other words, the gospel is the same from the beginning of Earth's history until the end of time. And the first gospel message is seen in Genesis 3.15 when Jesus says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and so forth. We see the gospel in the life of Abraham, who believed in in God, and it was counted to him for righteousness in Genesis 15. And you see the gospel, of course, in the New Testament. One of the verses that I want to mention to you— and this is what i this is what i would recommend that you do as we go through this study now that i've kind of given you some big picture ideas and kind of encouraged you hey we need to give this message with a loud voice and it's for everybody and let's not be ashamed of it And the three angels' messages are what produce the 144,000. And when they're produced by the 144,000, then we'll have the harvest, which is the second coming. So now that we've looked at the big picture, what I would suggest to you is that you take notes now as we go through the key components of the first angel's message, the first being the everlasting gospel. So the verse that I want to take you to, and and I would suggest that you write down, for example, Genesis 15, 5, and 6, which I mentioned, which makes reference to the faith of Abraham and that, how that connects to Romans chapter 4, verse 3. But what I want to take you to is Romans 1, 16, and 17, and this is a verse that you should definitely write down. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and this is a description of the everlasting gospel. This is the Apostle Paul describing this gospel message. So notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, we could do a whole study you know, pretty much a whole hour Bible study on Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. And I'll just type in the verse in Genesis that I mentioned, Genesis 15, 5 and 6. So Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power is the Greek word dunamis, which is similar to dynamite. What Paul is saying is the gospel has power like dynamite. Now, it's amazing to me how many people misinterpret what he teaches about the gospel in the book of Romans. What he teaches about the gospel in the book of Romans is that the gospel has power like dynamite to blow up your sin polluted heart and give you a heart like Jesus. In a nutshell, that's what Romans teaches. And the reason why he says that the gospel needs to have the power of dynamite is because he shows how sinful humanity is in the rest of chapter one and chapter two, where he shows that, the the Gentiles are polluted and he talks about the sins of homosexuality and licentiousness and all of that. And so you, you're left to think, Oh, wow, I'm, I'm so glad we're not sinful like them. And then he comes back around to God's people in Romans two. And he's like, you think you're, you're a follower of God. And yet you break the law of God as well. And you're under condemnation also. And so by the end of chapter two, you're left to think, Oh, wow, what hope is there for me? And then Romans three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, proceed to show just how powerful this gospel is. But in a nutshell, he tells us how powerful the gospel is in verses 16 and 17. Why does it have power like dynamite? How does it bring us to salvation when we are so sinful? Well, first of all, it's given to everyone who believes or who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, so to the believer, to those who are in the church, and even to those who may be outside of the church right now. Anyone who has faith can be brought into a saving Walk with God. Well, what makes it so powerful? Verse 17 tells us why the everlasting gospel is so powerful. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Think about that. In the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed in the lives of those who have faith. And he goes on to say, it's revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, the just who live by faith have the righteousness of God revealed in their lives. Isn't that powerful? Now remember, the book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that the 144,000 are a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying about the gospel is that those who believe in the dynamite power of God to bring salvation to your life, Will experience justification by faith. And when you experience justification, which is righteousness, by faith, God's righteousness is not simply declared for your life, it is revealed in your life. That's the everlasting gospel. That's the dynamite power of the everlasting gospel. Anything short of that is not the power of God. Anything short of that is not the righteousness of God. And anything short of that is not the everlasting gospel. But the true everlasting gospel as part of the three angels' messages, when rightly understood and when by faith experienced, will produce the righteousness of God in the lives of, of the just who live by faith. Now, by the way, Ellen White says in Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, and I will put that reference in here for you, 1890, that the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in Verity. And the third angel's message can be used to talk about the three messages in their totality. So justification by faith means that you have experienced the power of God into salvation, meaning that you have experienced the righteousness of God revealed in your life. And Ellen White goes on to say in that quote in Review and Herald April 1, 1890, that when justification by faith is experienced, then you see the loud cry of Revelation 18, where an angel comes down from heaven having great power. The earth is lightened with its glory because... Those who experience justification by faith have experienced the power of God. They've experienced the everlasting gospel, and the righteousness of God is revealed in their lives. Now the earth can be illuminated with the glory of God's character. So when we say that this angel has the everlasting gospel, this is not a half-baked gospel that says that you are declared righteous while you're continuing to live a life of sin. This is the everlasting gospel full of dynamite power in which your sin-polluted life has been transformed because you have faith in the power of the blood of Jesus to totally transform you into his likeness so that his righteousness can be revealed in your lives. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel power I want. I want gospel power to change me. So it's interesting. Well, I don't have time to, we could do a whole one hour Bible study on justification by faith and I don't have time to do that per se. I suppose we'll just kind of leave that for your own study. But I'll give you this. Go to, to Habakkuk 2, 1 through 4. I'll give you that reference. And um, in Habakkuk Yeah, someone already put it in there. Habakkuk 2, 1-4, you can connect the concept of justification by faith with the third angel's message. So, this angel has the everlasting gospel. This everlasting gospel isn't just some half-baked gospel where... Jesus dies for your sins, but you continue to live in sin. No, Jesus didn't come to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. And so here's what I will say as well about the gospel before we move to the next point. You know, a lot of times we talk about justification by faith and sanctification and overcoming sin and all of that's very important. Part of justification by faith is also forgiveness, And, you know, Romans chapter five, verse one says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a peace that comes from being forgiven. Now, here's something you need to think about very carefully. Don't think that you're ever going to overcome sin in your life if you don't truly believe that you've been forgiven for the sins of your past. Justification by faith means to truly believe that you're forgiven fully and completely, that you have a Savior who did his job so well that you have been forgiven completely. Now you have peace with God. And not only do you have peace with God, you also have... Faith to believe that his dynamite power can change your heart and life so that his righteousness can be revealed in you. So, justification by faith means that you believe that you've been forgiven completely and you also believe that God can give you complete victory over sin. One other thing worth mentioning about justification by faith this is Faith and Works, page 100. Ellen White says, God requires the entire Surrender of the heart before justification can take place. And in order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience, which works by love and purifies the soul. So surrender is part of justification by faith as well. And then sanctification is maintaining that surrender justified experience. So that's the everlasting gospel in a nutshell. We could do a whole series on that, but we're that's just one, that's the first element of the first angel's message that's important for us to understand, so that it it wouldn't be surprising that the devil would attack the pure gospel and would make people believe that they could continue to sin and experience the gospel anyway, and that's not going to produce the 144,000. The 144,000 will be produced by the pure gospel, not by a half-baked gospel. Okay. So this angel is flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So this message is for the entire earth, for every nation, tribe, language, and people group. So, you know, the everlasting gospel works for everybody. The gospel for certain subsets of people. The gospel is designed by God to work for everybody. So, again, don't tell me that the gospel message of dynamite power, where the righteousness of God can be revealed in your life, don't tell me that that message is not relevant for certain people groups, because the Bible says it's relevant for everybody. So when we start to dumb down the message and try to tailor it to certain types of groups and whatever, um, we often get stuck in the mud and we don't go anywhere because it's, it's not effective. And again, of course, there's a right way to present this to people, but to withhold it and to not share it is certainly not what scripture tells us we should be doing. So that's, Just a reminder that the first angel's message is to be given with a loud voice to every nation, language, tongue, and people. Now, notice verse 7. It says, sang with a loud voice. So, again, we understand that this message is to be given with a loud voice. It's not to be hidden. Um, You know, one time I preached at a church. This was actually about nine years ago, and it was somewhere this side of the country, not your side of the country, although you know, this is sort of a North American problem and a Western world problem. I preached a message on, you know, the the three angels and um, the people really were blessed by it. And the so that was on Friday night. So then the pastor introduces me again for Sabbath morning and, and I'm actually friends with this pastor. He's a nice guy. And he gets up to introduce me and he's like, you know, um. Some of the members were telling me last night, why don't we hear messages like this more often? And I said to them, well, you know, if we heard it more often, it wouldn't be as special when we did hear it. And I just kind of chuckled, but I was like, come on, people. Um, You know, the three angels' messages are to be the primary focus of what we do and why we do what we do. And I'm not saying that every single sermon needs to be from Revelation 14, 6 to 12, but a lot of them should be. A lot of them should at least connect into it and make application to it because our message is to be given with a loud voice. And of course, you know, I'm not the only one who gives messages on the three angels. There's plenty of other other people who do. Um, And it's an important thing to be doing right now. So to begin with a loud voice. Now, the next thing that I want you to, so you hopefully took notes about the everlasting gospel. I want you to take notes about what it means to fear God. And it's possible that this is where we will um, leave off until next week. But the first angel's message has a lot to it. So in the first angel's message, it says, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his um, judgment is come. Um, And so what I want to do, I want to um, give you a study on what it means to fear God. And just looking at a few verses. And so... The word fear, it's from the Greek word phobeo, which can mean to to fear, or it could also mean to reverence. It's the Greek word 5399. And you see this in Revelation 14, verse seven. You also see it in Revelation 15, verse three, which is interesting. So the message to, in the first angel's message is fear God. And in Revelation 15, that's actually verse 4. It says, you have the 144,000. Um, they're standing on the sea of glass, singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And in verse 4, it says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord? So what you see is that the command is, Fear God. And then you see the 144,000 in chapter 15 singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, saying, who shall not fear thee? So the 144,000 are a group of people who fear God. So again, the the three angels' messages are designed to produce the 144,000. We see that from the everlasting gospel, which will produce the righteousness of God in the just who live by faith. And it will produce a group of people who fear or reverence God. And the 144,000 sing the Song of the Lamb in verse 4 of Revelation 15, where they say, Who shall not fear thee? Now, I want to show it a few different verses of what it means to fear God. So Proverbs 1, verse 7, and we'll go through these verses relatively quickly, but you can make note of them, and I'll read them. Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So here we see the fear of the Lord. And by the way, in the Hebrew, so in the Hebrew, there's um, three words that are very similar. They're are 3372 through 3374 in the Hebrew. And they all basically mean to either be reverent or to have reverence. So, you know, some people will say, well, it's not the exact same word. Well, Hebrew and Greek are different languages. And if you see how the Old and, the Tes- Old and New Testament work together, you'll see that Paul will quote um freely from the old testament in the books of romans and hebrews for example and he'll use hebrew words and translate them into greek words and then they are the same words in english so you know um uh, i'm just making that comment for the higher critics out there who try to say that you can't use verses from the old testament to explain verses in the new testament and that's just patently not true so these these verses in the old testament come from hebrew words And they're translated as fear, and they mean the same thing as how the Greek word for fear is translated in the New Testament, which is to show reverence or to be reverent. So Proverbs 1-7 shows that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And then we go to Proverbs 3, verse 7, In Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So to fear the Lord is to depart from evil. So it's the beginning of knowledge. It's to depart from evil. And in Proverbs 8, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. So those who fear God will hate evil. You know, if you, if you cherish certain evil tendencies in your favorite political leaders or entertainment people or whatever it may be, that's not fearing God. Fearing God is to hate evil. So it's the beginning of knowledge. It's departing from evil. It's hating evil. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So here we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's to depart from evil. It's to hate evil. And in Proverbs 15, and by the way, you can go to Strong's or Young's and do the study on your own and find many more um, comparisons. I'm just, I'm just kind of wetting your appetite for what the fear of the Lord is. Um, Proverbs 15, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So, um, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So, it's the beginning of wisdom, and it's the instruction of wisdom. And, you know, you may think, well, I don't have much wisdom right now, but let me tell you something. If you spend time studying the Bible and putting together what Scripture says, you will find that As time goes on, the Lord will give you more and more wisdom as you fear the Lord. And um, you will find that things that are difficult for people in the world to understand, you can see very clearly because of your understanding of the fear of the Lord and of what wisdom means. Now, I want to take you to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And we are going to look at verses 11 through 15. And this is one of the passages that shows very clearly how the three angels' messages produced the 144,000. So pay attention to this passage especially. And this is a very clear and powerful passage of Scripture. Psalm 34, starting in verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So this is a Psalm of David, a man after God's own heart, and he says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. So now I want to know what he says is the fear of the Lord. He says, I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. So what are the next verses saying verse 12 says what is man what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good so he's kind of warming up now notice verse 13 verse 13 is now a description of what the fear of the lord is according to this passage of scripture notice what it says verse 13 keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile Have you ever seen that description of God's people anywhere else in the Bible? Go quickly to Revelation 14, where we started our study. Revelation chapter 14, we see a description of the 144,000. And in verse 5, describing the 144,000, it says, And in their mouth was found no guile for they are without fault before the throne of God. And David says in Psalm 34, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. This is what it looks like. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Isn't that amazing? That to fear God is to keep your lips from speaking guile and the 144,000 have no guile in their mouth. So again, the three angels' messages produce the 144,000. So when it says, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. The 144,000 are going to fear God. They're going to give glory to him. They're going to live with an understanding that we are in the judgment hour. and They're going to worship him that made heaven and earth. And then if you continue on in Psalm 34, it says, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their Christ. So further... Elements of the fear of the Lord would be to depart from evil. We've already seen that. To do good, to seek peace, and to pursue it. And you see that the fear of the Lord would describe those who are righteous and those who are crying unto him, those who have an active prayer life. But very clearly you can see in verse 13, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking guile or deceit which is what Revelation 14, verse 5 says of the 144,000. One last verse that I'm going to show you that shows us what the fear of the Lord is, is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. This is one of the famous verses. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So here you see that those who fear God will keep His commandments and have an understanding that every work of our life will be brought um, out in in the judgment. And you see a very clear connection with the first angel's message of Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, that you see in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Fear God, keep His commandments. Um, this is the whole duty of man. God will bring every work into judgment. And the first angel's message says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. So that's, um, that's what it means to fear God and you may have some questions on that hopefully that is clear and and makes sense but just to summarize the fear god then is the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge it's to depart from evil it's to hate evil it's the beginning of wisdom it's the instruction of wisdom it's to keep his commandments with the understanding that every work will be brought out in the judgment and it's to keep from evil and to keep our tongue from speaking guile just like the hundred and forty-four thousand, so that's just in a nutshell what it means to fear God. So again, when you look at the first angel's message, you see that it has the everlasting gospel. It has a command to fear God. There's so much in here, and we haven't even talked about what it means to give glory to Him that we're in the hour of His judgment and to worship Him. There's there's a lot more to come. Um, now we have about four minutes before we get our cutoff time before we take questions. So I'm going to give you a Couple of thoughts about what it means to give glory to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, this is a very familiar statement or a passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Now, that pretty much leaves out nothing. That means that everything that we do, whether it's what we eat or what we drink or what we wear or anything else that we do in our lives, it's all for the glory of God so when scripture says when the first angel says fear god give glory to him it's a it's a call a clarion call with a loud voice to god's last day people living in the judgment hour that every aspect of our lives should be for the glory of god so you know i see this happen sometimes among seventh day adventists where we start asking questions that lead us down a compromising path and i'm sure you've heard this question asked and that is is this a salvational issue and there might be a time and a place where that question is an appropriate question but by and large when that question is is asked it's done so with the intent to lower the standard from what god has revealed as his desired will whether in scripture or in the spirit of prophecy and when god has made known what would bring glory to him. And we say, well, I don't think I need to do that. You actually have a mentality of not bringing glory to God. And so those who have experienced the power of the everlasting gospel so that God's righteousness will be revealed in their lives and who fear God will also have a mentality of giving glory to him. And the question that will be asked about every decision that we make in our lives is, will this bring glory to me or it will bring glory to God? Is this my human selfish desire that I am, am considering, or am I looking at it the way God would look at it, out of my love for him? If I love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind, how does that affect my decision with respect to bringing glory to God. So think about that. And, um, you know, you don't want, of course, we don't want to turn Adventism into a list of rules devoid of Christ. But when Christ is in your life, there will be a clear and distinct difference between how God-fearing gospel-changed judgment hour living Seventh-day will live compared to the rest of the world. If there's no difference in your lifestyle with that of worldly, loving, secular people, there's a good chance you're not giving glory to God in your life. So think about that there's a good chance that you haven't really given your heart to the Lord completely. So to fear God and to give glory to him means that we give our hearts fully and completely to the Lord. Now there is more that I have on giving glory to God, but we're basically at seven o'clock now. So I am going to put a pause on the study for right now. basically what we'll do in part two is we're going to see what it means to give glory to God in its totality, what it means to be living in the hour of His judgment, and what it means to worship Him. So, what we did this evening is we saw the big picture: the three sections of Revelation 14, and how the 144,000 are in the first section, the three angels' messages are in the sec- second section, the. Harvest is in the third section. The three angels' messages produced the 144,000, and when they produce the 144,000, then we will have the harvest, which is the second coming. So we saw that, and then we saw that the reason why the three angels' messages are so powerful and they produce the 144,000 is that it has the everlasting gospel, which produces the righteousness of God, where the righteousness of God is revealed in the lives of those who have faith. Those are the just who live by faith. And then we saw what it meant to fear God. And we briefly touched on the first aspect of giving glory to him. So that's, in a nutshell, what we looked at this evening. And we will continue forward. And I think we'll hit those three elements of giving glory to God, living the hour of his judgment, and worshiping him. And then we can probably connect that with a second angel's message as part two of our study. And then for part three, we'll look at the third angel's message. So that's the roadmap for the study going forward. So um, should I offer a prayer or should we do that after the Q&A? After the Q&A. Okay, perfect. So why don't we go ahead and open open it up for questions.
1: I have a question. Kathleen. Yeah. Um so I wrote it down because um I'm not sure if I'm connected like you guys are. And you were saying you were typing in notes and I was just wondering if everybody else can see those notes or um if we had to write our own notes or can well, we get my... copies of your notes.
0: <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I wasn't just... sure. I kind of did it off the top of my head, so I don't really have notes, but, um, but there is in the chat window, if you ch- click on chat, there's a, the whole section has the Bible oh. that, we, um, that we went through. Okay. So if you, I mean, I, do, I have something written down on a piece of paper, but I don't have it typed out. Okay. Um, so, I don't
1: know. I don't see a chat window. I see like three dots. Okay.
0: Yeah, if you go to the bottom of the screen, um, yeah. where it says like on the left-hand side, there's mute, stop video. And then in the middle of the screen, there's invite, participant, share screen and chat. If you click on chat, it will open up the chat window. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Mine's not offering that. I don't know why. Okay. Well, I'm on offer... the phone. Okay. I am on the phone. Okay. So you need to click the three dots that say more. Right. And, and I'll let you do, into... then it says chat.
0: And Kathleen, because I, 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 I know that I'm friends with you on Facebook Messenger, I'm going to copy that list okay. and, and, t- okay. and send it to you.
1: Okay, yeah, I don't want to waste our precious time on that, but I just wanted to mention it because I wrote a lot of notes, but sometimes you miss things, and, and it's important.
0: So. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you.
1: I can make one comment that um, studying and and hearing you for now like two years um, it's very convicting in my heart and is. I don't want to get sobby as hard as we try and I try I see where I fall short and the Holy Spirit keeps opening these avenues for me to learn and target where these weak spots are. And you covered several and I just am so thankful for, um, I just want to say that, that I, it's such a special gift that God is working through you as a connection to help me get to where I need to be. So
0: Amen. Amen. it's a
1: blessing. It's such a blessing. So thank
0: you. Well, praise the Lord. And you know, it is a high calling, but God is also a a merciful God to us. So we can thank him for that. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions?
1: How do we practically allow nothing else to absorb our things?
0: Yeah, great question. so every aspect of our lives, whether we're in school or in our work, um, should be for the glory of God and for the everlasting gospel to be revealed in our lives so, you know, Daniel was taken as a captive to Babylon, for example, and yet if you study the life of Daniel, you can show that he was a living demonstration of the three angels' messages, even as a captive in Babylon. And so, there, you know, he was in the king's court, and yet he gave glory to God in every decision that he made. So when God is number one in your life, so from a practical standpoint, when God is is the most important thing and you have a dynamic walk with the Lord, every aspect of your life, everything that you do um, is going to be with the perspective of allowing the gospel to do its work in your heart, of allowing the righteousness of God to be revealed in your life, of fearing God, of showing reverence to him wherever you are, and of giving glory to him wherever you are. And people will see that difference. Now, I'm I'm not a believer in the silent witness idea because um, people say I'll just be a silent witness, and the reality is most Seventh-day Adventists are silent witnesses. In fact, our witnesses are so silent that we aren't a witness at all we are silent witnesses. It's a, it's kind of a a true term. So we should be witnesses. And so whether you're a physician, a physical therapist, a dentist, a teacher, um, whatever else it may be, um, you know, it's, um, everything that we do is going to be, um, with the purpose of, of giving glory to God and of being a witness for him wherever we are. So wake up every day asking the Lord to to bring people in across your path that you can witness to you. So I've seen a couple of other questions came my way um, that I'll, I'll just mention. You know, you mentioned that forgiveness must be accepted as complete now how do you reconcile that with the final judgment okay so you know the final judgment christ stands up and says he that is unjust let him be unjust he still that's revelation twenty two eleven. he that is filthy let him be filthy still he that is righteous let him be righteous still. he that is holy let him be holy still so when when christ stands up when michael stands up forgiveness is no longer available And those who live from the time judgment finishes till the second coming will live during that time with the understanding that by faith, all their sins have been forgiven. That's part of justification by faith. You know, if you don't have forgiveness at that point, the the burden of that sin would crush you. So, I mean, it's it's critical to learn to accept God's forgiving grace every day now. Because if you're like, I don't know, that was kind of bad. And, um, you know, some of those things I'm sure he'll forgive. But that one thing, ew, I just uh, no, it, justification by faith, you truly accept the pardoning blood of Jesus so that when the final judgment comes and Michael stands up and he says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, you're not worried whether or not your sins have been forgiven because you've had confidence in, in the forgiving grace of, of, of the Lord up until that and, and it's important to have that as you live through um, after probation closes. Um, so, um, a couple. I'm looking at some of these other comments. Um, so, uh, great study. I don't know how to live this righteous life, but God will finish the work he started in me. Here's what I would say to that, because humanly speaking, I will readily admit that it seems almost impossible to live the righteous life of God by faith. But that's where faith comes in. Faith is believing what God says, even when humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. And if you're a, a babe in Christ, remember Mark 4, 18 to 22, talks about how when a blade of grass comes up through the ground, it's not fully mature when it first comes up through the ground. It's a little blade, but it's perfect at every stage of development. And so God isn't going to you know, expect you to be fully 144,000 mature if it's day two of your Christian experience. He's going to expect you to be surrendered to whatever he has revealed to you at that moment, and you'll grow in grace. And, you know, Ellen White tells us to strive to be part of the 144,000, but you can't do it in your own strength. You rely totally on God's power. So if you think that you're going to earn your way and grit your teeth and and st- you know, just somehow scrape by, you'll never get there in your own strength. It's totally through the power of God's uh, giving that over to him every day. Um, so hopefully that offers some encouragement for you. I like that verse from Second Timothy 4.18 as well. That's very powerful. Um, and um, so um, any other questions? One other thing that's worth mentioning is that, you know, forgiveness is given on condition of number one, us having faith to believe that we've been forgiven. And also it's, it is conditional on repentance, meaning that we turn away. So for example, if, if David had asked the Lord to forgive him for what he did with Bathsheba, and then he turned right around and, and, and did that to another woman and killed off her husband, then his forgiveness would have been taken away. But because he, um, was truly repentant and sorry and didn't go back to that then he he had had the forgiveness so that's part of the the Christian journey as well um, any other any other questions? Well we had about eleven twelve minutes for questions, so it sounds like everybody is satisfied. so the plan is. And thank you, everyone, for your questions, and I pray this was a blessing for you. The plan is then we will pick it up next Tuesday, and we will continue on with the first Angel's message and get into the second Angel's message, and then the last week of our three-part series, we will cover the third Angel's message, and hopefully by the time we finish all three parts and we've gone through all three messages, you will see just how powerful the three angels' messages are and why they really are for our time and why they are to be given with a loud voice and why they do set us apart from the rest of the world um, to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. It's not just any old message. It's the message for this time. So why don't we go ahead and have a closing prayer? I will offer a prayer now, so let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study. We thank you so much that you have given us these three beautiful messages in Revelation 14 to prepare us for your coming. Lord, I pray that we would, we would surrender fully to you so that we would experience the power of the everlasting gospel, that we would truly experience what it means to fear God that we would truly experience what it means to give glory to him with the understanding that we are living in the hour of of your judgment. And as we see what's happening in the world around us, I just pray that we would be very committed to following Jesus fully and completely and very committed to understanding and living by and proclaiming these three messages at this time of our history. So thank you for each person who's been part of the study each person who's been on this call and may you bless each one of us as we continue through the rest of this week may we be found faithful when you come we thank you and we praise you for this time that we've had together i pray this in jesus name amen this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org